Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is the podcast where we watch a movie and then talk about our thoughts after we watched it. With me is the normal cast of characters this week. John Garcia, what's up? Hey, I'm, I'm ready to talk about a Miyazaki film. I'm just super excited uh, that we get to do it. We haven't done one before, have we? No, we haven't. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, we haven't. We yeah. We haven't, yeah. Oh, just jazzed for it. Let's yeah. do it. Pretty exciting shit. Ryan King, uh, our resident anime expert. How's it going? Yeah, good. Yeah, we haven't talked about it. We probably talked around Miyazaki's as we talked about some other anime. Um, but yeah, we can talk about this one. Someone will suddenly at the last second turn out to be an important character and just disappear at the very end <laughs> resolve everything. We couldn't get the Blob Men to be on the podcast. I really wanted to book them. We uh, spent so much to... <laughs> time talking to their agent, and it was just, uh, we, we almost had a scheduling conflict. Turns out my studio happens to be built on one of those stupid like... disenchanting spells that makes them melt <laughs> into the ground. So, whoops. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, this week we are going to be talking about Hayao Miyazaki's Howl's Moving Castle from 2004. From master filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki, the director of the Academy Award-winning Spirited Away. That is ancient sorcery. Quite powerful, too. Experience the epic tale of a young woman transformed by a mysterious curse. That's really me, isn't it? And the one wizard powerful enough to set her free. This charm will guarantee your safe return. Journey to amazing new worlds. Find me in the future! Aboard Howl's Moving Castle. The Boy and the Heron is coming out in a few weeks, so we thought it would be fun to do some anime films here over the next couple weeks, and thought we'd kick it off with a Miyazaki joint. Um, this is the third Miyazaki film that I have seen, so I am definitely um, less educated in anime generally and Miyazaki specifically than, than the two of you are, but um, I've seen uh, Spirited Away and The Wind Rises in the past, and Really, really liked The Wind Rises a lot. Spirit Away was good. Um, really liked The Wind, Wind Rises. And then uh, Hell's Moving Castle was interesting. Um, it's, it's kind of a classic fairy tale. It was put out in America by Disney. It feels like kind of a Disney fairy tale kids movie type of thing. Um, the, the story follows Sophie, who is a teenage girl who works in her dead father's hat shop at his uh, you know, dying wish that, that she would continue working in his, his hat shop that he loved so much. Uh, she works there with her mother and some other girls in town. Um, meanwhile, they look at the window and they notice this massive castle like walking around like a, a, over the hill near the shop. And the legend has it that this wizard named Hal is in the castle and he eats the hearts of pretty girls. Um, not really sure why uh, he does that or why that you know rumor has spread around the city, but uh, Hal apparently really likes eating pretty girl hearts. I don't know why a pretty girl's heart would taste different than an ugly girl's heart or a dude's heart for that matter. But, you have um, to take it up with the fairy tale commission. Yeah. They know. Yeah, I have a lot of questions <laughs> like that uh, about this movie. Um, but yeah, so um, she ends up running into Hal in the city, uh, which... 
uh, incurs the jealousy of the Witch of the Waste, who casts a spell on her to turn her into an ancient woman, uh, and she cannot tell anyone that she's under a spell. So she's stuck being an old woman and uh, is unsure kind of how to go about living her life from there. Um, she then decides to go out into the waste to try to find a witch or a wizard to fix her and ends up living in Howl's castle with him and some other weird characters. Uh, that's kind of the, the setup for the movie. Um, I, th I think this movie is, is really interesting, especially in the first half. They bring in a lot of different crazy characters like Calcifer and the, the Witch of the Waste and uh, you know, like, who's this Markle kid? What's he doing? Like, a, a lot of different characters and, and aspects of this castle where, you know, oh, you open this door, you turn this knob on the door and you open it and it opens into a different, like a portal into a different part of the world. And there's a lot of cool setup to this movie. A lot of interesting characters. I don't know that they land the plane very well. There's, there's like some plot threads that don't go anywhere and things that wrap up in a nice bow. And I'm like, wait a minute, really? That's, that's how we're resolving this conflict? Um, but it is, it's really beautifully animated. And I think the, the concept in the first half of the movie is super interesting. I wish it kind of maintained that. I feel like it, it fell flat a little bit in the second half, but it, it's still a fun ride and a, and a good movie. Um, so yeah, I, I had fun with it. Um, but I'm curious to hear what you guys thought. I feel like at the end of it, I felt like, okay, so this is just kind of a classic story of girl who is pretty, but thinks she's not discovers that she is pretty and the prince falls in love with her and they live happily ever after it, it kind of a you know your basic fairy tale story with a lot of weird shit in it but at the end of the day it kind of boils down to that and i think i was maybe looking for a little bit more from it but um curious as what you guys thought um i'm gonna kick it to ryan since you are our anime expert and i'm sure you've seen this multiple times yeah I have seen this a number of times. I couldn't even, I don't know how many. <laughs> um, I have seen all of the Studio Ghibli movies, but one, the only thing I haven't seen is Ocean Waves, which I know is one of the lesser ones anyway, so I'm not too concerned that I've, I've missed it. Uh, I have seen Miyazaki's movies, including the things that he did before Ghibli, uh, namely Nausicaa, that's the big one, but he also did a Loop on the Third movie, um, which is like his first movie directorial debut. So I've, I've seen... You know, what he has to offer, I'm looking forward to see what he does in Boy in the Hair, and I'm trying to keep myself completely ignorant of all of it like he wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, Howell, I agree. This is an, an interesting one to talk about because I don't feel like on its surface it's as clearly good as Spirited Away, um, Princess Mononoke. Like, those are kind of like, they're good. And it's like obvious they're good, and you watch them, and they're good. And I would actually say, yeah, like... um. The Wind Rises is also really good and a different take than these sort of fantastical ones um, that, that Miyazaki is mainly known for. How it kind of fits in this middle spot where it's not bad, but there's just a lot that's unsaid. And I agree. At the ending, it just sort of is like suddenly a couple things resolve and it's sort of unclear what the fuck happened. And it, the most obvious one is the prince. Like, they just like, oh, I'm the prince that's been missing. And they just fucking Turn bounce off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're like, what? Who? <laughs> kind of the first time you're watching this. Yeah. Um, what I do appreciate Miyazaki's ability to create a setting, his designs on locations, like everything is like a postcard that you could snap out any still in here. Um, his ships and his machinery, which is really mm -hmm. well done in this as well. 
and here he's mixing in 3D animation on top of the classical animation um, to give you kind of these even more interesting mechanics and how these things move. And I th- I like I really like all that. This movie has an interesting a lot of things going on in the background that it just doesn't really tell you. But if you take the time and kind of come back and watch it, it sort of adds some interesting depth into the movie. And I, I've always kind of latched on to Howl for that reason. I do agree that it kind of has this simplistic story, so to speak, it is the most Disney-like, Disney princess-like. But the character of Howl is really interesting and how he changes throughout this. And as you learn more about Howl and like his growth arc, like Sophie, honestly, I think her growth arc is that she didn't need any growth, right? Like, it's yeah, she's not... like the perfect, most compassionate, empathetic human that has ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So then you do, you do kind of have to look at it through like Howl, like, and, and following him. I have also read the book, so I will touch on things kind of as we go through of like what's in the book that does make a few things make sense, but also I do feel like Miyazaki improved you know, other, other parts as well. And and so it's kind of a departure. Um, my understanding is that <laughs> the, the next movie was supposed to be based on a book and he just gave up on that entirely. So I'm, I'm interested to see where he ends up going. Cause I think he takes these things and when he does sort of adapt something, he really just puts a completely different flair on it. So it's interesting to see something that's an, an adaptation for him. Mm. I, I, I like it. I'm definitely like a Howl's moving castle apologist. I feel like, um, I think the people that are into Miyazaki are perfectly fine with it, but I think people that kind of like dabble their toe are like, oh yeah, my, ne- my neighbor Totoro and Spirit Away and all that. And they're like, oh yeah, it was kind of fun, but whatever. Like it's sort of that like kind of next ish level. Nice. John, what'd you think? I may be slightly biased to this. This is, I think, technically the second Miyazaki film I've seen in my life because um, I watched Spirited Away at a theater in Boston with my brother when he was in college. And that was like mind blowing to me, just seeing that on a big screen. And then Howl's Moving Castle came out, I think like two years later, and I went and saw it in a theater and was like, again, pretty blown away. And there were definitely, I've learned the term for Miyazaki's approach to making stories like, or like the worlds and stories as soft world building. I did not realize there's a technical difference, Hmm. Um, but that makes sense where soft world building is like, you just embrace the fantastical thing. They're going to be like, bits of logic that you'll never understand and that don't make sense and it's not like like Tolkien does hard world building and that's like okay you've made a whole language that has actual grammatical function and everything um so I've kind of embraced that like fantastical element it's also fun that you mentioned that it's like Disney Dixon because uh, Miyazaki fucking hates Disney Mm. like he hates Disney things and the way that their stories are very simplistic about the characters and everything and so I feel like it on the surface Howl's Moving Castle has definitely has that semblance um but like digging deeper like even sophie talking about how she's already compassionate and empathetic she's also very insecure and she's very concerned that like she's very aware of herself as an old maid i think is how she perceives herself and so when she becomes an old woman she becomes even more concerned because it kind of makes her miss what she was taking for granted um and then like yeah Hal being a pretty boy who it's kind of reverse sort of beauty and the beast in a way he has not been turned Mm. into a beast yet and she's been reverted from a beauty um and so uh it's it's to me I, i this movie just gets me like it's got a really good nostalgia for me and the score i just I love yeah. each score in every Ghibli film. I think even, I don't know about Tales from Earthsea, but uh, you know the other ones, they, they have really good scores that are memorable. And this is one of those where like the moment that I heard the keys on the piano hit, 
I was like immediately enveloped in the world and the emotion of it. Um, I watched the uh, the English dub for this time around. Ryan, I'm sure you watched subs, uh, I'm, I'm guessing. I, this was actually the first time I watched it without the English dub. Ah, so oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was interesting. This was my first time going without it. I did want to um, ask most... you guys about the dub, if, if you had seen it, because yeah. there's some like just logical inconsistencies. And I know that it, like it's a fantasy land. It doesn't matter. But I'm like, why is Sophie British and her mother is American? <laughs> And their town is clearly France, like somewhere in France. Yeah. And, right. Why why is Christian Bale doing an American accent as Hal for some reason when all the other actors seem to be doing just their native accents <laughs> and Bale is British? So I I don't know, you know, it, I was a bit confused as to the logic of I, like, well, how they were voicing these things. I know why Christian Bale was doing an American accent. It's because this was I'm the Batman. same he was gonna be Batman. I mean, I'm yeah. Hal. This... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm Hal. <laughs> Hal's moving castle has the first use of the batman voice in it it's not quite as gruff as batman but it's got that like yeah. keanu reeves whisper kind he, of vibe he was like working it. on it still and yeah. so uh i just have a feeling that christian bale was like can i just do because he saw spirited away and he said i want to do a miyazaki film i want to be part of a ghibli film like sign me up and he was just going to play some bit part or he was ready to. And then they were like, no, you get to be Howl. And that's when I assume he was like, I want to do it with an American voice and I want to try to do Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a different mysterious billionaire in a castle secluded from the world who fights people at night in a disguise God, with wings. If only Sophie had a cat instead of the dog follower, <laughs> she would be the cat woman too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I watched the English dub this time around. I've watched the Japanese uh, subs and uh, that that was, you know, I, I like both. I don't, there are a few Ghibli films that I'm like, I can't watch this. It's also interesting because when Disney started bringing these over, um, they would add dialogue where there was none because American oh. audiences are so dumb. They need like something Extra to tell them. Yeah, this yeah. is basically it. Yeah. Um, and so like they would just add chatter, like background chatter. And it totally, the moment I realized they were doing it, now I can't like unhear it in certain oh, movies. Man. It just, it makes it worse. <laughs> could you tell where they were doing that in this? I could tell a few parts where I'm pretty sure they were doing it. I didn't watch uh. like the, with the sub, the subtitles to give it away. They'll tell you when there is something and when there's not most of the time. Um, and so yeah. yeah there's a lot of billy crystal winging it yep yep as calcifer I as bet. well yeah. that, that's definitely there yeah i did like billy crystal as calcifer and lauren bacall as the witch of the waste is fucking great yeah um, like there's some there's some pretty good voice work in uh, this. lauren bacall asked uh, miyazaki if he was married <laughs> <laughs> like as a joke uh, <laughs> but when they met i was like oh i was reading a lot of trivia about it, it was like, humphrey's been dead for a long time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyways to, to wrap it all up on my side i i just uh, yeah i love this movie it's one of my favorites um it's not like as high for me as as princess mononoke or spirited away um but it's it's certainly much higher than ponyo ever will be um, uh, and that's that's yeah, yeah. I kind of agree. <laughs> <laughs> Dixon, you can stay away from Ponyo. It's fine. Uh, the other ones noted. Probably good. Good to see. <laughs> but yeah, why don't we start uh, from the beginning, as it were? Um, just like initial thoughts of the world that's being established in it, because like this, the, there's something about um, this particular movie. I can sense in the score, like that there is a bit of like French note that they're sort of putting on it. And of course, Dixon, you mentioned like Sophie is British and Howell has like an American accent and they're sort of playing with that. Um, I 
I feel like that just like this, this mix of all of these different things that you're like, I register that that's from this country, that's from this country, and that's from this country, just blend into that fantasy element. And it's really mm. just meant to shake it up and be like, okay, get out of your headspace. This is like a totally different world where all of this is mixing. Um, but like that, I think does, doesn't start off with like a, a pretty clear opening shot of Hal's castle moving. And that so opening like, shot is beautiful. Like you just see fog and then you see the castle start walking out of it. And uh, yeah. the design of that castle is so cool. And like you can it's tell awesome. that's where they're using the 3D animation to kind of make all the parts of this castle move like in slash out of sync on purpose at different times. And it has these weird human aspects. Like it's got a mouth and a tongue and just like a bunch of weird shit coming out of it and it's like a steampunk almost kind of vibe to it and um yeah i mean the, the castle is almost kind of a you know almost has a personality of its own i mean the the sound of the castle moving too like it just establishes for you as an audience like hey here's what this big hulking thing will be and here's how you'll know if it's lurking anywhere because of course later we hear it in the distance before sophie even recognizes what it is like mm -hmm. as an audience you're like oh Shit, Hal's castle. She's gonna find it. Um, but yeah, there's there's that that whole opening there, and then there's like kind of getting into like the it's establishing like the industrial age. There's such like a that, that mix of steampunk, and then you get like a steam train um, that's kind of like coming through, or you know, it's like an older fashioned locomotive, and all of these like pretty much everywhere in the background of this movie, there's just like wartime propaganda, like yep. people mm -hmm. celebrating yeah. yes. people like doing parades, flyers, um, airships and all that. <laughs> and we, we get, we like breeze past all of it right into a room, like in the hat shop with Sophie. And we just get to like have this moment to see sort of her initial point on the, like where she's at, what she's doing. And she's very isolated. It's like, just a lot of beautiful setup for the characters um, in the opening and having not seen Hal yet and having them, we've all seen the castle up close. Then they see the castle from the distance and the girls are all like, he eats the hearts of like, whatever. And you just have that mystique of like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, what is he doing? I yeah. Um, and like the classic joke between all the girls is, oh, I'm afraid because Hal's around and the other ones are like, he only eats the hearts of pretty girls. You don't have to worry <laughs> yeah, exactly. about it. You're good. <laughs> Just using hell to insult them. But yeah. hell is a very vain person. So, I mean, yeah, it makes sense, yeah. I guess. <laughs> he seems more concerned uh, about his own beauty than anyone else's. But true. Yeah. Yeah. True. It, the, from a setting standpoint, th this is where I think it's interesting to see Miyazaki hit kind of the same themes over and over, where he's, as an artist, kind of exploring his same feelings about things or, or you know, and trying to work through them. Um, in this, notably, like he invented the castle like actually being this moving walking thing like in the the book is called Hal's moving castle but it's more just about the concept of like the castle can be in each of these towns uh, which we see the castle later kind of have this with aspect the portal you can walk in areas, and out the doors yeah, yeah. Hmm. um but he was like oh it's an actual literal castle like on legs and all these things slapped together um which is a great addition like i'm like that's one of those things where it's like that i couldn't see it any other way now in my mind like that's perfect um he grew up in the, you know, as World War II is ending and he's seeing the kind of rebuild of Japan, the fallout, you know, guilt that the Japan literal has. literal fallout. Yeah. Yes, and literal fallout. Yeah, which he, you know, their Ghibli movies explore as well. And, and obviously, Wind Rises is specifically, right, about World War II planes and the creator of the Mitsubishi. And uh, 
key here. I think he kind of does the same thing he does in Porco Rosso, sort of mixing in kind of a little bit of the like World War One, World War Two European styled clothing and architecture and machinery and then using that kind of as part of his setting to explore it like by having these mixings which i do see him often try to put together this sort of like western and eastern at the same time which is you know you think about that reconstruction japan that was the main conflict between the old you know eastern traditional japanese way of things and the newer western and wanting to adopt them like wanting to wear those clothes and design things that way and their you know sort of interest in the the military during world war ii that started to take on the ships like that that they saw um so that's one interesting thing that i think he does explore a little bit here in the background of this kind of like growth of war reasons to go to war that are seemingly made up or excuses um and then yeah the design of everything being this sort of like it almost to me looks like that like world war one french kind of look mm, yeah. uh, but just like a different flair of it on each style except with like weird ass planes that have like odd tentacles and shit coming out of them and like Dude, strange just, flaps i and... love that shit yeah. oh it's yeah so it's wild uh, uh, yeah. just great to see them become like actual big birds basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. um yeah, I also forgot, like, speaking of kind of the World War, uh, like the war centralized sort of, uh, or the war backdrop, I should say. Um, I forgot in this movie <laughs> that so much of it was, like, how fucking dark war is. Because I just remembered, like, yeah. the moments of, like, Hal and Sophie. But there's so much other fucked up shit in the background. They talk about, like, that, like, wizards and witches are being drafted and that they get turned into these like monster things. And basically if you like shape shift for too long, you potentially lose yourself and just become like a dumb beast. That's trying to like fight senselessly, mm -hmm. which is great. Anti-war like commentary in my opinion. Absolutely. And uh, even at the beginning, seeing just like foot soldiers who are like the scummiest dudes. It's like how, how and Sophie meet. Sophie gets hit on by two guys who are clearly about to like take her somewhere forcibly. And Hal shows up and just like makes them fuck off, like <laughs> with his magic powers. <laughs> it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's in one interesting thing about that to note is Hal is a lot sleazier in the book. And the lines that those two guards say are literally word for word the lines that Howell says when he first runs into Sophie. Oh. Which is kind of a, yeah. And so Miyazaki's like, nah, I don't want him to be quite that sleazy and so he takes that same scenario and he has it where instead of Hal coming up and making those lines there's these guards and Hal's kind of taking Sophie away from that magically yeah so a little bit of an interesting change yeah that, that's interesting John to build on your point I think like the I thought the anti-war stuff was fascinating and I was I think I was wanting a little bit more from that and like in the second half of the movie like the war is going on but the plot kind of moves away from that being a major part of like resolving the conflict and and I was I was hoping for a little bit more anti-war commentary I think in the movie I thought in in the first half of the movie when you know like Hal is just they show that scene where he goes out the door and he's flying around and he's looking at all these cluster bombs and you're not really sure what's happening and it, it's unclear Hal's involvement in the war it's like is he just going out there and watching because he's curious as to what's happening and how like wizards are being like used to 
further the war effort and you know having their their magic use for evil or is he an active participant in the war like is he participating in the fighting and, and maybe the book speaks more to that but in the movie it's not really clear what his involvement is and he appears to come back like injured a few times and so it's unclear if that's collateral damage or if he is involved in the fighting um and then john you mentioned like you know calcifer tells uh how he's like you know if you keep doing this you're not gonna be able to turn back into a human again and he's like you know none of the people out there tonight are ever going to turn back into humans again and like really interesting commentary about you know like ptsd when people go off to war or like just the way that a war mentality can kind of change like just fuck up your brain and change the way that you value human life and um you know like are can you ever be the same person that you were going into a violent conflict that you are coming out of it you know whether that's like whatever level of it that is is as a foot soldier you're going to be fucked up and have ptsd like you know i don't know if you're dick cheney were you ever human or or was you know were you hardened (laughs) at some point along that way and now you're just cool with killing a million iraqis i i don't i don't know but um yeah i I think that's a really interesting idea that the movie kind of touches on but i was i was hoping for it to kind of flesh that out a little more and and dwell on it and have it be maybe a bigger piece of, of kind of the resolution of the film. Yeah, that, that's what really does fascinate me about this. Again, the war is a part of the book, like it kicks off some events, but it's really not there at all. And you don't even really hear about it until like halfway through the book. So Miyazaki adding like war and it being much more upfront to begin with and making more of that the theme of the movie, again, is a really interesting touch. Hmm. Um, in what I like, in this is all the background stuff about the war. So they, they, you hear these mentions like as they walk by, people saying like, oh, Prince Justin has been kidnapped. And you, know, you hear the military talk about that or you see posters or newspapers like mentioning these things. And seemingly one side thinks their prince has been kidnapped. The other side didn't kidnap him and they're fighting each other. Or the whole thing is fucking made up. It's never really clear like why they're necessarily going to war. Some um, Gulf of Tonkin type shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. You you see these sort of like passing moments where, yeah, you see ships in the background bombing. You know, eventually we find Sophie's town has been bombed. Um, the one interesting scene I saw this time that I haven't seen, which is where I, I really always appreciate rewatching this. Um, after they visit the wizard Solomon and they're making their escape, when Sophie kind of like, they split the ships off and she sort of takes first control of the ship. You get a shot below her where you can see in the street, the army is massacring protesters. Oh, and it wow. Just I didn't even notice passes that. By. It just passes by, but you go back and you watch it and it's clearly like a bunch of people like having to run away from the military, like lined up and they're firing shots into the crowd. Oh, man. And, and I'm like, someone spent the time to like draw all that out and put that in there, but it's like, that's not the plot that just is on the edge of this story that we're following yeah and that's that's i think where i really like so it's like a lot of the other miyazaki films have a through line of like anti-war um you know uh, environmentalism uh and they they all approach it and talk about it in a different way it's either head-on or it's indirect and it's like in the backdrop somewhere and this is one of those movies where like I am so comfortable because I know the wind rises is out there. I'm so comfortable sure, with yeah. this being like what it is and how they are presenting like the war where everything like even as a there's like a gag that is also a really fucked up like but also hilarious get like just 
dig at uh, Monarchy, where they're t- they fucking go to Solomon's chamber, and uh, Hal shows up in disguise and is so like regal and dignified, and then immediately the real king comes out. And he's like, <laughs> "I've got a plan that'll beat him to a pulp," but he's like this fucking cartoonly like stupid man. Yeah. That's the best double you've made of me yet, <laughs> Solomon. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, yes, I'm gonna go massacre whoever else, and like struts off, and it just, he's so frantic and stupid and it's like just he's more amazing. mustache than man yeah honestly yeah. <laughs> the mustache must be infecting his brain <laughs> um but just like it's those little moments where it's funny haha in the situation hal has been found out or like oh that's kind of a twist or whatever but then when you think about it and you're like that guy runs a kingdom like that guy like what the fuck that's Um, the george w bush of this movie yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) you can't get fooled again after they found the prince then they did the mission accomplished on the naval war (laughs) 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 and solomon probably runs everything right like through her oh yeah wizards that she Mm -hmm. has or witches and yeah runs and has all the power and she's the dick cheney of the movie yes yeah exactly (laughs) that she decides to stop the war at the end (laughs) which dick cheney would never do Uh, they were doing it for resources, hat resources, but they bombed the hat shop. <laughs> so they had to call it off. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, well, we've talked a little bit about like the background and the the backdrop as well um, uh, of this movie. But in terms of like the foreground and the story presentation, like uh, Dixon, you compared it to Disney and felt and Ryan, you kind of agree that it was a, a bit of a Disneyfied story. I'm just like curious what y'all think about the actual romance between Hal and Sophie. Did you feel like there was actual chemistry there? Or did it feel forced um, to y'all? What, what do yeah, you think about it? I did not think there was much chemistry at all there. I think there's moments where Hal, like in the beginning when he meets Sophie, appears to be a- attracted to her and then like, you know, notices that it's her like midway through the movie, like, oh, the old woman is actually her and he can kind of see through the curse. And he always appears to kind of have uh you know a mild attraction to her but he's also just so obsessed with himself and like is so pissed off when she like moves his quote unquote magic potions aka hair dye around in his shower and he uses the wrong one and like you know he's just at the end of the movie like you know oh they get together and I'm like is this a is this a happy ending like how is like a vain son of a bitch who says that he would rather die than to not be beautiful and like doesn't really seem to care that much about Sophie and Sophie's like the nicest sweetest person in the world and doesn't really like she just loves him seemingly just because he's around and it, it doesn't seem like a very good pairing to me and I'm like ah oh, she should have gone with turnip head you know she should have gone with it he was so nice to <laughs> yeah. her throughout the whole movie helping her out along the way and uh you know then she uh, she just goes goes with Hal. <laughs> well, she does. She does give Turnip a true love kiss, and then he does say, as Prince Justin, "Well, he'll come back because hearts are fickle. Like he's yeah. he's gonna come back and try to try to win her over." He so, just seems so know. okay with it. He's like, "Oh yes, your true love's kiss revived me." And then, uh, like uh, the withered old woman, formerly known as the Witch of the Waste, is like, "Well, the you know, it looks like your true love loves somebody team, else. Yeah. You should maybe just go tell your king to stop this stupid war." And he's like, "Yes, you're right. I should do that." And he just leaves. <laughs> and he bounces away on the same <laughs> stick. I was like, "Dude, did he keep yeah. his turnip head powers? That's amazing." Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that you do see Sophie learn, like, kind of chip away at the myth 
of Howl and start to see who he is really underneath it, which is honestly mostly a coward. But um, yeah. he does start to like through being with her, become a better person. You know, he does grow and change through being with Sophie. Um, yeah, it is kind of a surface levelly romance, but it is that yeah Disney princess storybook kind of romance um, that works. Like it works, you know, enough. It's not great, but it's there. I do think I see where both of them start to see more in each other happen. Like there is actually that growing attraction and you see it even through Sophie's like wavering on it as, as later she sort of is just deciding whether she wants to look like an old lady or not. You know, the, the curse mm-hmm. somehow changed or never really was the curse the way we thought it was. She starts to look like her old self and then we'll get pissed at Hal and go back to being an old lady or we'll start to doubt herself and go back to being an old lady. But you kind of see her resolve grow until at the end when she finally is like, okay, you know, I want to save Hal. I want to, you know, work this out. And then she just kind of completely becomes the old Sophie, old young Sophie again. (laughs) Well, yeah, what is the logic of the curse? Because that's something that I was kind of confused about. Is it like her having self-confidence that powers over the curse like it doesn't really we'll never know tell you anything about it <laughs> yeah. you know it's like the witch of the waste gives it to her and then she's like uh i don't know i don't know how to get rid of curses i just yeah. know how to give yeah, them she didn't even really know and then like other people are able to identify that she's under a curse but aren't able to really help her at all and just like randomly through the movie she'll start to look a little bit younger subtly and then get old again and then like at the end of the movie she looks young but she still has gray hair and uh so i don't know she beca- yeah she enters the silver fox era yeah yeah her, uh-huh. her life <laughs> that's my life that's what i'm living <laughs> yeah it it is not explained in the book either so it is something that is just sort of open i again the witch doesn't witch of the waste doesn't even necessarily seem to know what she cursed her with or how to undo it um the witch of a waste is kind of a questionable powers yeah uh it seems to be that she curses her to have the exterior appearance of what she feels inside, I guess, yeah, would probably be. be the easiest way to think about it. So she thinks she's an old, you know, the clothes that she wears, the way she acts compared to her sisters, um, kind of gives her this traditional old lady feel, but as she kind of grows confidence and becomes herself, she, she kind of breaks out of it. The other piece is that the book confirms something that's like hinted at in the movie, that Sophie also has some magic ability. And so it's also possible that she just breaks the curse through her own magic hmm. willpower as well. Does anyone not have magic powers in this movie? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's Probably a good the question. <laughs> yeah, just the, the regular doesn't count. You can't just say the people <laughs> yeah. who don't have lines. That doesn't count. <laughs> hey, I didn't see them turn yeah. into things, okay? I saw other people who didn't have lines turn into things. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, even whatever the fuck that dog is apparently can see oh, across hang? places. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, and, he can uh, fly, apparently. Fly Dude, a I little bit. Dog. And yeah, so a bunch of weird things. That dog's awesome. Um, <laughs> His asthma see, doesn't weigh him down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seemingly Sophie, like when you kind of see she, her hats are really popular and you see her at the beginning kind of tell a hat like what it's going to be or, or how it's going to become something and seemingly imbuing it with this ability or, or magic of hers. And then she tells the stick like you're a good walking stick and she tells Turniphead what to do. You know, she's able to talk Calcifer down. So kind of like whatever she says kind of happens seems to be sort of a hypnotist or something. Ability. Yeah. Yeah. 
somebody call Ben Affleck. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> she's hypnotic. Uh. Oh man, um, yeah, I, I kind of I picked up on that this time around as well because I, I don't watch this like every year. I, I watch it maybe every like five years or something. And when I watched it this time, I was like, man, Sophie talks to everything with such like she just imbues everything with such a positive. Maybe it's because now I'm like a manager in my job and I'm like very attuned to, I'm like, wow, she's giving great feedback to all of these coworkers. <laughs> Turnipet is really gunning for that promotion. Uh, but yeah, like, it's just like, oh, Sophie just has like an overwhelming positivity that even like Calcifer can't deny when everybody's like, oh, you can't handle Calcifer. Like only master how can. And she's like, yeah, fuck off. I'm going to put this cast iron on him. Here we go. Make the bacon. Be a good fire now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah be a good fire. <laughs> Um, we yeah. haven't even really talked about Markle. <laughs> yeah, what is that kid? Like, what is he for? He's just there. And He's like, how did he get there into the castle? <laughs> yeah. He can grow a beard. That's his one magic power. Dude, um, I love his old man like, disguise. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. He'll, like pull a beard out of his face, but then he still has a young child voice, but he's he trying like, to sound like an old man. He sounds like, like three it. kids in a kid's trench coat. Yeah, but he's just the same height as a normal kid. Uh, like Hal doesn't appear to be teaching him anything. Or like, why Why is this kid here putting up with all this shit? Like, yeah. He seems to be Hal's unpaid intern. Yeah. 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 He's getting class credit. We see from Hal, he kind of, he runs away from the summons. You know, he doesn't want to. He's a, he's a draft dodger. Yeah, he draft dodges. Mm -hmm. Yes, he uh, changes his name so no one realizes he's how. There's implications that he's the one spreading all the rumors about how horrible of a person he is and that he eats hearts. Um, and then he makes Markle just do all his fucking actual work for, to make money to keep everything afloat while he goes and like cries in his room. Yeah. Yeah, selling potions and shit. He's got a real racket going. He's a hustler, that one. <laughs> child, child labor. <laughs> With scary. a really disgusting bathtub and just a yeah. terrible house. Like, he he honestly... Mark Except for his like, room, which is just solid gold jewels everywhere. <laughs> That's right. The whole rest of the castle is He's full got of like shit a, and cobwebs. A dope baby mobile thing above him that tells him <laughs> which of the waste is nearby. <laughs> he can run away from his commitments. <laughs> I want to talk about the Witch of the Waste because I loved that character and I was so mm -hmm. sad when she was neutered in the middle of the movie. I was she like, oh, like this is going to be <laughs> such a fun villain. Sophie encounters Hal for the first time and apparently she's just jealous of any woman that Hal touches or speaks to. And, you know, she bursts into the hat shop and she's like, I'm the Witch of the Waste. And I was like, yes, you are. And then I read the subtitles and I was like, oh, it's W-A-S-T-E. That kind of waste. <laughs> uh, but she's just this massive woman and she has like 12 chins and it's just like su such great animation. Like all of these chins that she has. It's just f just hilarious to look at. And Lauren Bacall is, is so good voicing that character. What a tacky shop. I've never seen such tacky little hats. Yet you're by far the tackiest thing here. And putting this like sinister evil into this woman uh, in a way that's just really fun. And I was like, oh, great. We're going to like encounter this witch throughout the movie and she's going to be the bad guy and this is going to be great. And then I think we only see her one, once or twice again before she has all her powers removed and she just turns into a shriveled up old woman who seems to like not have bones anymore. Uh, just like falls into a puddle and is just kind of carried around for the rest of the movie. And she has these like weird shadow 
henchmen that do her bidding for her but for some reason when her powers are taken away they're still out fucking shit up doing weird things and and i don't really know what the connection is there or, or what they're doing but yeah i think those are other wizards creations the ones we see like get pooped out of the airplane and chase everything oh, around. Those yeah, are like, yeah yeah those are other yeah. wizards creations or other wizards they're like kind of alluded they to have as potentially being, yeah. yeah i've seen the ones that like come up to the hat shop when it's on fire and it's being bombed oh, and they're like and pushing through those are in the soldier's yeah. garb those are yeah like they look just like uh the witch yeah. of the waste henchman from yeah it's like a common movie. it's probably like a common like a homunculus yeah, kind of thing that yeah. the yeah. wizards can make yeah so yeah it seems to be that other people have them i do like the implication that she is making herself like as pretty as possible. Right. Yeah. Right. To hide whatever it is. But I'm like, that's the form she chose. Like she thinks she looks hot. <laughs> like, right. Like she's like, this is the best I've got. Maybe the best she's got one everything. of those, you know, like matter cannot be created or destroyed things, Ryan, in her spells. Oh, right, right. <laughs> it's like, look, she you can only, only shift like, the weight around. Move it around. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you suck it up into the torso, <laughs> it'll be fine. It's most flattering in the neck. <laughs> yeah. All of it in the yes. neck. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I like that her. The rage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that her motivation is just I want to date the hot guy in the castle and like that's the whole thing that that's driving all of her evil is she's like I just want to be with Howell and fuck everybody else and it's just <laughs> she's a funny character to me and like I every time she's on screen I'm like oh hell yeah here we go and then she just kind of leaves the movie halfway through but she doesn't leave we have to like see her just sit there being useless for the rest of the movie and she just kind of takes up screen time and i don't really know what the purpose well, was of leaving her there other than to just show that sophie is the nicest person who's ever lived who will just yeah, always basically. show compassion on anyone regardless of the evil shit that they've done to her yeah she was also there to like fuck things up when the plan was going well that's that's the other yeah thing she was there yeah. for. in her senility mm -hmm. right <laughs> and her desire to be with the hottest man alive yeah <laughs> she was like i'm gonna just move this heart and hold this fire in my hands <laughs> i i do like that scene where they run up the the rocky stairs um when they like go to the it's a two two old women uh apollo and rocky yes. <laughs> run into the top of the stairs together um and and like sophie initially kind of having an advantage of getting to walk up it at some point, like just recognizing that the Witch of the Waste now has Sophie's cane, like Sophie gave it to her to help her get up there <laughs> and make more progress. Um, and then Sophie's like her cheerleader at the top when that prick is like, I'm sorry, ma'am, but we can't yeah. help any old people upstairs. <laughs> those, yeah. Those fucking soldiers that are on like every other step all the way up that ridiculous yeah. set of steps that just stand there all day. Yeah. If we help one person people. up the stairs, then we'd have to help everybody up the stairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just sounds like socialism. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like that scene was just nice to, I know I, I wish that, I think that I wish this movie just had another hour to it. Honestly, it's kind of where it comes. I from. agree with it you. Probably actually. needs it. Yeah. Yes. It, it ends way too abruptly and it just leaves these loose ends and wraps things up in a way that doesn't feel satisfying or make a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I would love to have seen so many more just brief interactions like we could have had turnip head could have been turned back into the prince but had amnesia and maybe we kind of slowly ramp into that if it matters um or which of the waste has like more interactions with sophie that test her and like that would make the stare sequence even more of kind of like a oh sophie is like being so empathetic and caring and all these things but yeah um i also just didn't think solomon was an interesting villain and she's really not in the movie very much i was like why couldn't we just have the witch of the waste be 
the villain in the movie and have her like also be controlling the king and doing all that shit, right? I feel like that just would have been a more interesting film with her driving all of the uh, controversy. Yeah. I, and I, well, here's where Miyazaki not being Disney is interesting because it, he doesn't really often have sort of a one clear villain mm-hmm. in his movies. Sure. It's often sort of a combination. It's kind of like all of the things in the world are the villain, like the events are happening and there are negative aspects to it. But like in Spirited Away, it's not really that the Baba Yaga is evil or anything, right? And in fact, she like helps towards the end, right? It's sort of just like a more of a circumstances that's the the threat. And it, it's kind of apparent here too. And, and John, you watched Princess Mononoke. It's sort of like, there are a lot of bad actors, but there's not really like a single bad villain either. And someone like Lady Oboshi is like anti-hero more than necessarily right out villain. Like it's it's very interesting how he never... I, I like this sort of grayness of everything, right? The Witch of the Waste is vain and an asshole and all that, but then she kind of just gets enfeebled and is brought along as part of the group and like it, the power is sort of removed. And Solomon seemingly is behind a lot of things, but we never really get that confirmed. And we, it doesn't even, I agree. It doesn't wrap up. It would be nice to get a clearer, like actual, like conclusion to the war and an understanding of what happened. I think that's really what's missing. In yeah. the end That would bring that back around. And, and I agree with you that like, sometimes it's a lot more interesting to not have just a big bad villain and to make something that's more subtle and, and complex. But when you have such a good character in the witch of the waste, and then you have like, get rid of her in favor of kind of a just a nothing villain who is just sitting there behind the scenes not doing anything i was like ah come on like that's you know i I feel like sometimes you have to let your characters drive the movie and and like if you have like i i personally thought the witch of the waste was the most fun character in the movie and i was like i want more of her and then she just wasn't in it very much and just maybe disappointed it would be interesting if she hadn't been just like completely enfeebled to immediately to seemingly like yeah. yeah it's a seemingly like not able to even think like very rarely at the end suddenly she seems to be smart again if she, if it really was she her powers removed like she was completely ugly and an old lady right we kind of get that transition and that's fine but she still is trying to get Hal and it's more clear and like Sophie's bringing her along thinking that you know, maybe she can turn the corner that she's not really who she is. And eventually she does come around to that, the Witch of the Way sort of like does kind of get there. But to be more of an active participant than sort of like accidentally doing a couple things and then <laughs> just kind of being, you know, an old lady in the background, I, I think that would be an improvement. Yeah, if if that had been like whatever they did with those fucking light bulbs and that weird chanting and those light people that walked around, I don't know what the fuck that ritual was, but whatever they did with that, if that took like the rest of the movie to really start to kick in and it was more of a ticking clock for like the Witch of the Waste where Sophie had to make a choice of whether or not she would take her with her and then try to help her. Like that would Sophie have made probably a choice. made some yeah. cool, yeah, Sophie's choice. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it would have had like more opportunity than now she's just old and she smokes cigars. Like she's just Lauren Bacall. She's just Lauren Bacall, except <laughs> yeah. like a different form. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that was where like, yeah, when things started to go fast, like when they moved the house and then. Like, right after they moved the house, everything was just downhill super fast. It was like, they were going to bomb the place that they moved to. Mm-hmm. And then 
Howl like goes full beast mode and does his Batman voice. And uh goes Marshawn Lynch on their asses. <laughs> and the Witch of the Waste uh feeds Calcifer like a terrible bug that some him sort up. of espionage bug that uh, Solomon had sent with Sophie's mom. A to... spying word with googly eyes. Yeah, so. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, also, like, that was fucked up when Sophie's mom just sold her out. Like, fuck that yeah, mom. Yeah, no, fuck Sophie's like, mom. Th- I'm yeah. sure that that was under penalty of death or something, but still. I think Sophie's it, mom does not have her, it going on. Yeah, she's also her stepmom. <laughs> I, yeah. I think it confirms at the beginning she talks about it's her dad's hat shop. Her dad passed away, but mm. this is actually her stepmom and that they've kind of inherited the hat shop. She's the closest mm. thing to so, the wicked That's stepmother. why she's American. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. There's a, there's maybe something there. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's why her stretch. stepmom's also, that's, that explains why her, her, who I thought was her mom is like kind of a dick to her all the time. It's like, she's the evil stepmom. She, there you go. That's like yeah. me. Yeah, kind of, kind of. <laughs> it's a Disney She's movie. still like an okay mom-ish. <laughs> yeah. She came to check in sort of and felt bad about doing stuff, but she, yeah. Anyways. And Sophie's <laughs> sister, I don't know if she's a stepsister or a straight up sister, seemed fine for the like one scene that we saw. Sophie's sister, right. who like, there no are, matter you know, anywhere that she is, she could be in a, like in the most private quarters ever and there would be a man who pops in around the corner and goes you need anything you need anything <laughs> <laughs> do you want to yeah. use my office yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like who the fuck are these guys fuck yeah. off <laughs> the yeah. apparently yeah uh, everyone is so enraptured with her that the business is now booming because people just want to come in and buy bread from her or uh. cakes or whatever the fuck it is they sell and yeah every guy there <laughs> Is just completely fawning a over her town full of simp's. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> and it, like again, that's like another thing that in the book there's like an actual magical transformation thing, and she has a spell, and that's what's making everybody attracted to her. Like, it's just mm. not not important in the movie because we're only seeing her for one scene anyway. Yeah, interesting. So I I want to ask about another thing I'm confused about is the dynamic between Calcifer and Howell. And, like, what is really going on there? Like, they say that, like, they imply that Calcifer has, is a, you know, he's a fire demon. He has stolen Howl's heart. And he appears to not want to give that up. And Howl also is keeping him imprisoned in his house and forcing him to move the castle and shit. And you're like, couldn't Howl just take his heart back at any time if he wanted? Or, like, does calcifer need his heart to be able to exist or what's going on there and they imply that there's maybe an outside spell that is keeping this happening but then we have this weird childhood flashback at the end of the movie where sophie just walks through this door that appears out of the wreckage of the castle and she just sees childhood howl maybe like 15 catch a falling star and eat it and then like pull his own heart out of his chest <laughs> yes. and she's like oh it's Hal and calcifer i know how to help you now i'm, I'm, I'm sorry what <laughs> and, uh, and then they come back to the present and she just like puts calcifer back into howl and everybody's good howl's back got his heart back now calcifer's free to like fly away and and do whatever and i'm just like what the fuck was going on at you know any what? point with these two characters? Why were they bound together? And then Calcifer just comes back at the end and still just moves the castle around and does whatever Hal wants him to. Yeah, it's yeah. like when Genie's freed at the end of Aladdin. He doesn't free yeah, any right. other genies or help the world. He just <laughs> hangs <anything> out. <laughs> but Calcifer also like goes back into slavery on purpose. 
like so does genie kind of i don't know i know it's been a long time since i've seen aladdin but (laughs) aladdin still just gets to Um, ask him for a bunch of shit he does it anyway (laughs) true yeah (laughs) he's not compelled to do it. he's doing it out of choice yeah um Mm. so calcifer is some sort of demon or spirit i don't think he actually is a fire demon like like he says like people think he is or says he is it appears that he is a falling (laughs) yeah it appears that he is a falling star and we see that the other stars kind of fade out really quickly when they hit the ground you kind of see them as these like little people and then they kind of fade away and so the implication is calcifer would also have just gone disappeared if hal hadn't caught him Uh, and by giving him his heart calcifer can stay around and in exchange, uh, Hal gets more magical powers than he already had. Hmm. And so then they just sort of have this Some contract. Sort of fast mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so at any time, Hal could just pick his heart up, <laughs> put it back into his chest, and Calcifer would like blink out of existence like he was supposed to. But Hal would lose a significant amount of power. And as vain as he is, he doesn't want to do that. Do you, uh, is that detailed in the book or is that you inferring this from, from the movie? It's sort it's again, it's like a little bit different in the book. Yeah. I think that it, it is just like a straight up fire demon in the book, but here and there isn't like a catching and shooting star, I don't think. Um, but yeah, so it's that's me inferring a bit about it. Um, because yeah, it's not fully clear, but it is clear that he It makes sense. How catches saying. it. Yeah, how catches Calcifer and gives him his heart, and then that's how they get this bond. So that's also like why Calcifer can just kind of be like, fuck you to howl sometimes yeah. <laughs> um, because he really is independent. He's just being kept alive by the heart. He just only has the threat of howl is the one that could only one, I guess, I guess it could just be put out by they water. Both, apparently. Yeah, they but howl could die. fuck him up if he wanted to. Yeah. 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 And it could kill both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Very Dorian gray kind of situation with the, the right. But yeah. Um, I also like inferred from that, that, uh, well, because the first conversation they even have between Sophie and Calcifer is Calcifer being like, can you help me break this curse? Like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm doing my Billy Crystal right now. Uh, and it's not great. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he's, yeah. You got to lean into like, it, John. Yeah. He, okay. Okay. Here we go. I got this. I got this. I'm going to do it. Hey, I'm Calcifer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Billy Crystal oh, wow. is here. perfect. <laughs> yeah. You want to help me break this curse? Or uh, what are we doing? Uh, and <laughs> Sophie's like. Well, I think we still really make like, promises. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, uh, you know, he's like, I can't, uh, I can't do it. Um, I, I can't tell you what this curse is. And then that told me, because the Witch of the Waste also says, uh, the best part about that curse is you can't talk about it, is that there are some curses where you can talk about them, some that you can't talk about, and some that you can't talk to other people, but you could talk with the other person that's cursed with you. Maybe? Yeah. It's like, Hal would know to put him in his chest, but nobody else could, because nobody else shared that bond and that, like, thing. Um, initially I just thought this was like a deregulated state where everybody was able to cast any fucking spells with no repercussions and you didn't have to know the reverse, like the curse or whatever. Democratized wizardry. Yeah. (laughs) It it is unclear what Calcifer wants out of the breaking of the curse, other than just like to not have to listen to Hal and to get to do what he wants, except it I feel like the implication is he doesn't exist anymore or he goes back to where at the other side before you know he was at before yeah at the end he only seems to come back because sophie was the one to put the heart in like that's what he says is like oh mm-hmm. if you do it i think i'll survive so i guess her magic willpower keeps him around now uh again yeah it's just the, the ending is just like 
a really quick resolution. We got to wrap this nine up. things <laughs> yeah. without any explanation of how they're resolved. You kiss that turnip. You shove his heart <laughs> into his chest. <laughs> <Yeah>. You. <laughs> the thing that annoyed me most about the ending, like yeah, all that kind of doesn't make sense. But then like. Heen, the dog, just like turns to camera and then we pull out on the like fortune teller globe that Solomon is looking at. She's like, Heen, why haven't you checked in before now? Oh, looks like Hal found his true love. Guess I should stop this stupid war. And then the movie ends. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, just like the, the true love of the person that you despise has inspired you to stop this war that you seem hell bent on doing for this entire well, movie. Well, she it's saw just, the yeah, prince no, in the background hopping away. She sees away, the prince. And that's, yeah, she sees the prince. She immediately so knows yeah, she, it's the prince. That doesn't goes. mean she do, can stop the war. Like there, you know, usually empires just find whatever justification <laughs> they need to continue their war. It would have been you really know, funny if I, the king came out. I.e. Uh, Israel, Ukraine, etc. But you know, like we. There's, you know, I, I was like, really, really, that's what we're doing here. I'm just like, you know what? Love, love finds a way. I got to end this war because love conquers all. <laughs> and uh, roll credits, folks. I think we're done here. This is a, this is a wrap. <laughs> love an advisor coming up and being like, uh, excuse me, Madam Solomon, we really shouldn't fuck with this war anymore because they found love. <laughs> you don't fuck with love. I didn't think it's love like, existed in this world anymore. Oh, you know oh, what? You, They've proven me wrong. You know what's happening? We're writing a Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> yeah. anyway. Solomon's oh, assistants that all seem to be tiny boy clones of Howl. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that whole thing. See, those guys look like you remember when I was telling you about that Italian Star Wars knockoff Space Odyssey? That's what mm -hmm. the clones all look like in that movie. So now you have a little better picture of two movies now. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah, these are the Padawan that are being trained in the in the yeah, temple there. They're the younglings who will be slain or slay eventually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. Um well, yeah, it did it, it doesn't make any sense. But again, soft world building and I just after a while I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> yeah. Just, when I go back and watch Spirited Away, I also have some questions that come up, but uh, I've I've learned to suppress those uh -huh. and enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like I'm I'm like kind of you know I, I'm poking holes in this thing as kind of at every turn here as we're discussing it. But like I did enjoy this movie, and it looks really incredible. The animation's great. I love all the setup and these interesting characters that they bring in. You know didn't land it as as well as I would have liked but but there's definitely a lot of good stuff in here. And I, it is interesting cuz the book I think is okay. It's it's not great. I do think Miyazaki improved on it and there are weak parts that are just weak parts that carried over from the book. So there's a certain amount of like you're got to work with what you're adapting as well. There is a sequel uh to Howl's Moving Castle. Uh this absolute shit. <laughs> the a sequel novel. Um there's a sequel novel, yeah, to the, to the first one. It's like absolute shit. It doesn't follow Howl or Sophie or, or really. It's like anyone that we know, though they do like pop up, you, you know, characters that you know pop back up because it's set in the same world. And it has the exact same problem at the end that the end of that book plays out just like this, where it just suddenly is like, oh, this person is actually this person transformed and that person's actually this person transformed. And now that we know that, this other person that's transformed can now transform because now they can talk about their curse and then now everything gets fucking resolved and you're just like, that's the same thing that happened in the other one. Yeah. And I just went through a bunch of bullshit with characters I didn't care about. <laughs> it's fascinating. Maybe they pulled that for the end of this movie. Maybe they were like, let's take well, some no, inspiration. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, no, it's in the in the first book. It's the same thing. Oh, so okay. I just feel like the author is. It's in that sort of like, oh, I need to make another sequel. So I'll kind of just do the exact same thing in the sequel that I did in the first one, and no one learned any lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you mentioned this is the first time you had watched the dubbed version. How did you like the dub compared to the, the original the Japanese sub- audio and and the subtitles? I think you got Yeah, this was my first time on the original audio. Yeah, oh shit! Flip, okay, my up. bad. Uh, well, how did you oh. like the original audio? Yeah, a lot of the Miyazakis, I first heard the dubbed version, um, just because that was what kind of quickly became available in the States, right. as um, Disney brought some over, and then there's other, also a few other dubs out there, but mainly Disney kind of started pumping them out, and they did, these are actually really solid dubs, um, these are some of the best ones to point at that you can watch and not get the, like, over-the-top anime voice that not as many dubs do now, but back when these were coming out was kind of the staple to just like oversell everything to a ridiculous degree. These dubs have the right amount of like subtlety to the voices. Um, in particular, like Sophie, her voice changing, you know, she's young as she's old, like that's important. Right. Uh, watching the original, I did feel like there's more, character to the voices there's something about i feel like this one and princess mononoke that i feel like spirited away's dub fixes where it's a little too muted like they went completely the opposite way and in particular i'm like christian bale kind of is just like just seems a little too chill yeah <laughs> yes. and, and doesn't really get like elated enough in his voice ever you know except for the like one time when he you know his hair color changes and even then he's it seems very disingenuous yeah it's still not enough and Mm -hmm. so yeah that that's kind of a weaker performance um but again there's like good performances in it i just feel like the 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 true audio one is a little more realistic to like what it actually is i did notice on this watch the subtitles do tweak a few things um just like you do that's just like always the case when you when you translate something they're just implications that are going to be lost anyway. Mm-hmm. That you just have to have to deal with. Um, but I, I like the character's depth of voices is more in the original audio than this one, I think, just because of the way the dub was done. Mm. Uh, for the most part, I think the Miyazaki dubs have gotten better over time, like both as the quality and as staying true to the original story more. And there's a lot less of the like, and, and I know what you're talking about, like Kiki's Delivery Service is a great example, John, of just like, we have to have shit going on in the background. People so have people to are talk talking. It like feels all like, the time. Yeah. It's like ADRing in a bad movie where they're just like, I need somebody to say something. So while their back is to the camera, I'll just add some lines in like that. Yeah. It's like somebody's carrying a box and they have to go ADR in. God, this box is heavy. When you it's, can like see heavy. in the animation, yeah, exactly. it's like heavy. It doesn't matter. <laughs> in the original audio are the signs and the words that are animated, are they still in English? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly, there's no change in the, in the animation, exactly what you see. So there is no Japanese writing I wonder why Japanese writing that in it, this was, one. it was originally animated in English. Just, I, Miyazaki does that sometimes. Like huh. some of his worlds, he, they're not set in Japan or Japanese in his mind. So they're, mm-hmm. they don't have that. Like they're not that way. So like Spirited Away is, you know, those are Japanese. It's in the sort of Japanese spirit world. So we see that. But this movie and Kiki's Delivery Service take place in a more European cities. And so they have English writing, sometimes misspelled, 
because he's doing his best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're doing their best. Um, but yeah, they're they're to he wants you to feel like that's that world, and yeah. it, having Japanese lettering wouldn't match up with the you know the clothing, the styling of everything else um, being this Western style. That's interesting. Cool. Well, any other thoughts before we wrap things up here? We, you made a mention at the top of the music, uh, and I do. I think that's one of the things that elevates Howl a little more for me. And the main song, which is uh, Merry Go Round of Life, I believe is the title, um, is maybe my, I would go back and forth. My favorite or second favorite? It's like right up there of uh, songs from Ghibli movies. And it, as I've learned more about the music and the, the, Joe, <laughs> I'm going to try Hisashi. I think it's Joe Hisashi. Hmm. Um, he's the composer for most of the Ghibli things. He did not do Tales from Mercy, John, so you're okay on okay, that one. Okay, sweet. Um, <laughs> he purposely does this sort of weird thing with the music, which is what makes it stand out in Ghibli, that he mixes the sort of modern, expected 4-4 time Western music with the way that ancient Japanese music didn't fit that time signature uh, and the instruments that they used, you know, kind of then were worked around the time signature of, of that time. And he kind of ends up making songs that are in both time signatures oh, wow. in this really weird way. And he mixes in those instruments in really interesting ways. And what happens is this effect where it doesn't end where it's supposed to end seemingly to your mind. Because everyone now is used to the like kind of traditional either four four or around a sort of four four time signature, and his songs like don't hit where they're supposed to, and they kind of give you this like sense of things continuing on and flowing and floating that other music doesn't. And and this particularly that title song, the the just I think is a great example of it, um, where you can just kind of sit there and listen to it, and it's like you don't know. Like the song could just keep going. There's no spot where you're like, oh, okay, now we're repeating it. It just sort of floats in and out, which is what it's supposed to be. This like the merry-go-round of life and Sophie kind of like not exactly floating a la Forrest Gump, but going through these events and life going places that none of these people expected them to go. Um, And the music just really fits with everything in here and, and elevates it. Yeah. Makes it feel even more so like this joyous dance like that's happening kind of in between these characters um yeah that's interesting i did not know any of those things about joe hisaishi i think is maybe the name i don't know i'm also yeah, attempting we, we're it. Trying, we're trying. <laughs> we know how to say joe <laughs> yes, that's right. uh joe <laughs> yes um but I agree. everybody's favorite all-american guy <laughs> joe <laughs> Uh, well, I, I do have one last thought or question, but and that is, uh, Dixon, what's your next Miyazaki movie going to be? What are you going to try to watch? Uh, well, probably The Boy and the Heron. Um, if I am able to catch one of his other films before then, I don't know. There's like I've heard good things about pretty much all of them. So, um, you know, I'll I'll just uh, you know close my eyes and uh, spin a wheel and and see what the the thing lands on. I don't know. Which what would you guys recommend that I see next? I was gonna. I was actually gonna say not only yesterday, but we talked about this before, and it might be interesting to have Dixon's take on only yesterday. Yeah, no. I think only yeah, yesterday kind of has like a a divide. Like some people really like it, and some are like, no. yeah, it has some interesting things, and it it one of the things that's most unsettling about it is one of the first animations where they tried to make the mouth animated 
the way the words are coming out and it ends up oh. being like uncanny valley a little yeah. bit um <laughs> it makes all the faces a little strange mm-hmm. uh, especially when you watch that dubbed because then it makes no fucking sense their faces just look weird mm. because, because they're not matching up with what they're saying um t- i really like princess mononoke like that is my top one mm-hmm. um, that's your favorite I, miyazaki it is my favorite i think it is the one that has it has the most going for it and that it hits kind of all of the themes that Miyazaki wants to explore in one encapsulated piece. He has the sort of like humanity, nature elements of like what are we doing with nature that you see some of in Spirited Away, right? And then the like war and everything is war and we're all horrible people aspects of it and like what are we doing? It has the encroaching technology and but that like humans also need that technology so there's sort of that like uncomfortableness around it hmm. so I, I feel like it hits all that it has characters that are in that good and bad like very gray areas almost all of them i would say except for like one the main character is like pretty much just a good guy everyone else is like you can go either way you know and how you look at them through a lens and so that's the one where i'm like i think it's the most interesting like well-rounded and it has a lot going for it I know that like people tend to like really point to like Totoro and Spirited Away, and they're both fun and they're really great to watch with kids. And I'm like, I think that's where they end up like mm-hmm. hitting such high notes is because they are more like what a Western audience wants to see in a good animation, where Princess Mononoke definitely hits some more adult tones, and that just isn't as common w- with Western animation to like ex- to, for people to want to watch. Yeah, that definitely sounds like something I'd be into for sure. Yeah, I I second it. Um, Mononoke is my top second. My first is Castle in the Sky, even though it's not that great in terms of the entire Ghibli lineup. Um, I still think that it's, it's like, very popular in Japan. That is one. Yeah. Of, that is probably their top. But it's like they play it every Christmas. It's like oh, the damn. feel good. Yeah, it's like the feel good Ghibli movie. Is Jimmy Stewart in it? <sighs> he should have done the dumb. <laughs> I think Shia LaBeouf does the dumb. Hey, hey, there's, there's is a castle in the sky over there. Yeah, yeah oh, Shia LaBeouf is in you that You want that one castle? Also. <laughs> throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Castle in the Sky is one of those more feel-good. It's not like a Disney-fied movie, not, I would yeah, say. Yeah, not quite. Because, um, well, I mean, there's some like war is hell kind of aspects to it, too, that are more on the yeah. nose. Yeah, and hmm. there's just like a lot of moments of indulgence and in like I guess where Ghibli was at at the time and its animation capability because it there's like sweeping vistas and like really beautiful shots that are lined up. It's one that's lined up around like a trumpet solo. Oh, just cool. like a dude just plays a trumpet and you watch like birds fly around this like big island and it's really fucking beautiful. Um, but it has like those quiet moments and then it ends with like a pretty action packed conclusion with the fucking castle in the sky and everything and it's great. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, I guess, uh, John, would you recommend this movie? I would recommend this movie. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I don't recommend Ponyo, but I recommend this movie. Everybody. You've been very clear on that. Yep. I just want to make sure that my, my stance is very, very clear. Howl's Moving Castle Good, Ponyo Bad is yes. John's, John's review. Ponyo has Liam Neeson in it. I'm oh, not trying to entice does. you, but it has a good Liam Neeson in it. It does also have like a resolution at the end that you're like, "What the fuck? What?" It also just so <laughs> happens that somebody takes Liam Neeson's daughter in it. No, that's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> technically true. It, are he you does, actually being serious? I'm actually serious. He's being serious. Oh, does he, he have does a particular go, set of skills? He yes. does, and he does, and he goes pretty much like full nuclear on an entire island. Because, oh, incredible! Okay, now so, I yeah, want to watch is, it. <laughs> 
Ponyo is is Miyazaki's like warped um, Little Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Yeah. Interesting. All right, Ryan, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, like I I always recommend this. I think it's it it is a good entry point into Ghibli or Miyazaki. I think Uh, I think it's a good solid movie all around. It, It is a good movie to kind of see how things could be a family movie, but not be Disney, not be kind of the traditional things we expect here to give you a little bit of something different. Um, so yeah, all around like this, this is like one of my favorites. This is my like guilty pleasure Ghibli movie for, I guess, if I'm being honest. <laughs> How did Darla and the kids, uh, enjoy it? Uh, they, they love it. This is one that they've definitely seen a lot. I think, um, in my family, Totoro and Kiki's delivery service are definitely the family's like top ones that, that they like to watch a lot. Um, and those are much more like very much more kid aimed in general. Um, but Howl is, is really popular as well. And, and is probably like those three kind of round out the top. So actually like spirited away we like, but we don't watch like over and over again, which is, which is interesting that we come mm-hmm. back to like, we come back to Howl's moving castle. And I feel like with Howl and Kiki, those are two that initially I was kind of like, eh, these are all right. And then the more I've rewatched them, the more I'm like, oh, there's all this other shit in the background. There's all this more depth to these other characters, and like I get more interested in them the more times I see them. Cool. Would um, you recommend it, Dixon? Yes, I, I would also <laughs> recommend this movie. Um, I, uh, you know, again, like I had some issues with the plot, but overall, I thought it was a lot of fun and uh, really well animated, really interesting characters, and and definitely worth watching. Um, I watched this with the lady friend, uh, or rather she was sitting on the couch while I was, was watching it and she was working on her laptop and looking up occasionally and then fell asleep for half an hour and then watched the rest of it. (laughs) 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 Uh, and then I got a bunch of questions after, right? Wait, what's going on with this? And I was like, I don't know. I was awake the whole time and I don't know. (laughs) 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 Uh, she's very into Disney and she was like, Okay, she like you know it was like all right you know the parts that I saw were were pretty good but um you know she was she was absent for much of it but mm-hmm. <laughs> but um yeah we would definitely recommend people check it out I think it's it's a you know a, a good kids movie and interesting for adults too with the the war concepts and and other things going on there so cool uh, well thank you for joining us this week on Afterthoughts I have been your host Michael Dixon with me as always John Garcia. Stay away from Ponyo, everybody. I know I said it a lot, but I'm going to say it again. Just don't really driving it home. Dixon, yeah. you should watch it. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Taken for kids. <laughs> uh, and Ryan King, uh, I can only do Billy Crystal impressions from The Princess Bride. Like that's the only Billy Crystal I have. But to please. blave, to blave, which means to bluff. <laughs> lost the cards. Now, now yeah. do your Wallace Shawn. <laughs> <laughs>